This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. How's everybody doing today? Well, we are right in the middle of a series called Forever Free. And this series is so very important. It's a series that really is looking towards the heart of really what the message of all Scripture is, that God, in all of His efforts, in all of His work, all that He's done in your life, all that He's done in my life, everything that He has worked to accomplish has worked to liberate you and give you freedom. But the problem for us is learning how to live in that. And so the past few weeks we've been looking at that. I want you to also understand that for the n- we've got one more week. We, we're going to be in this series next week. We're doing a, a message for you called How to, how to Stay Free. Because the issue isn't just that we experience freedom, but the issue I- that God wants, God doesn't just want us to go, oh, I'm free now, but then I failed. God wants us to stay free, not just experience freedom for just a time. But then we're going to do a series in May. I just want to just tell you as your pastor, I'm so excited about this for you. It's called Joyful. We're looking at the heart of God to give you joy. Because there are so many of you, I've sat down with some of you in the past week, and you've told me, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm trying in life, but I just don't have joy. I feel like I'm, I'm going after life. I feel like I'm trying to be a better dad. I'm trying to be a better husband. I'm trying to be a better mom. And I'm just, I don't have that joy, that intangible thing that attaches to my life and makes life, even though it may be difficult, pleasurable, enjoyable. And so we're going to spend five weeks talking about joy. I'm so excited about that for you because I think it is going to be a life-changing series. You don't want to miss that in May. Um, so we, a few weeks, started to go, uh, started this series by talking about the problem because if you don't understand the problem, it's very difficult to offer any solutions. And the problem with freedom may simply be that we don't know what the problem may be. And so I helped you over the past few weeks come to an understanding, a realization when it comes to what the problem is in our life. And the problem is that you were born a sinner. How many of y'all realize you don't have to teach your kids to be bad, Right? They figured that out. You have to teach your kids to be good because they were born sinners, right? We were born into Adam. We were born outside of the design. We were born into brokenness. And because of that brokenness, let me just give you just a taste of, I think, what God wants us to be as parents. That's why, see, God doesn't want us to get so upset about their behavior. God wants us to parent their hearts, not their behavior. Because the truth is, is that the, the, the problem doesn't lie in simply their behavior. It lies beyond that in their heart. And so, see, we were born sinners. We are not, it's not our sinning that's the problem. It's the fact that we were born a sinner that is the problem. And we see that echoed in what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, verse 15, where he says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And there are many of us in this room that... We have read the Bible, and we've said where Jesus says, forgive your enemies. We've read the Bible, and we've seen where Jesus says, hey, you know what? Uh, I, I want you to, to forgive. I want you to give generously. We've seen where he says, hey, listen, those people who persecute you, love them and forgive them. And we go, I, I, don't, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> that, that. That 
feels so far away. But when I read this Bible verse, I, I can identify with it. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I do, I don't want to do. So I think that's a verse that all of us can identify in with. And the Apostle Paul, it kind of brings it home in Romans 7.20 where he says this. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. See, the Bible is so clear that we were born not into perfection, born with every, you were born into Adam. You were born into brokenness. That is why we don't have to teach our kids to be bad, because they figure that out on their own. Sin is at work within them. We are born into sin, but through the grace and mercy of God, God has offered us the capacity to choose him, to make the decision to follow him when he leads us and guides us and comes to ransom us, that we can say, God, I give you my life, and he takes us out of Adam and puts us into Christ. And now when he sees us, he no longer sees us. He sees us through the lens of Jesus. You've experienced that before. You ever had a friend of yours and started dating somebody that you just didn't have a very good opinion of? Has that ever happened to you before? You're like, man, why are you going out with that dude? I, he's the guy that, man, he cheated on so-and-so. I mean, I seen him around town when he was supposed to be dating this girl, and I saw him with this girl. Right, I heard that he broke into Belks and stole a shirt. Right, I heard, I heard he paid for some gas one time and drove off without paying. Right, I heard all this bad stuff about him. But then your friend starts to date this guy, and all of a sudden, after all the bad stuff that you heard, you start to get to know him. And you find out that it wasn't true. It's just stuff that you heard. And after a while, you actually start to like the guy. See, you got to know him through her. You have a relationship with her. You know her. You trust her. See, God chooses to see you through Christ. That's part of us going to God and saying, God, I can't get it perfect. I can't get, I, the, I, I am never going to be righteous enough, but you have paid the price for me to, di- to do this, God. I, I'm, I'm going to give my life to you. And God says, I'm going to look at you now, not through your own worthiness, not through your sinfulness, but I'm going to see you through Christ. But see, there's a problem. And really, it's echoed in Romans 7 when the Apostle Paul says, there are things I want to do, but I find myself not doing those. And then I find myself doing things, and I know those are the things that I'm not supposed to do. And he says that it's sin that lives in us. So I want you to see something that he says in Romans 6. Now, again, he's talking to people who have given their lives to Jesus. All right, we're not talking about people who have fallen away. We're not talking about people who don't know Jesus. He's talking to people who know Jesus, and he says this in Romans six twelve: Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let sin reign. I want, to, I want you to see just a few quick uh, things that are true out of that, that simple verse. Number one, I want you to understand this, that sin is no longer your boss. We said this last week, and it was really my challenge to you at the end of the message last week to say, hey, when you're facing temptation, I want you to be reminded that sin is no longer your boss. You no longer have to follow it. You no longer have to buy into what it's telling you. You no longer have to obey it. You can say, sin, you are no longer my boss. That's a part of how we combat the temptations of the enemy, to be reminded that sin is no longer our boss. Number two, but this is something that we see in that verse, that the struggle is not over. Now, we live in 
the United States, and maybe more than any other country in the history of the world, we value freedom. But we also know this about freedom. Freedom is always bought with a fight. Freedom is always bought with a fight. And we realize that today we can sit and openly gather, we can worship, we can lift our hands, we can uh, cry out to God without fear or worry in this place because people have purchased the freedom through their service in the military, through, through their service to our country. Right? We, we have, ha- are living in a freedom that has been purchased. But I want you to get this today. Jesus has already purchased the freedom that you need. He's already purchased your liberation. Now it's our job to struggle with it, wrestle with it, and fight for it so that we can take hold of that for which Christ Jesus already took hold of so that we can possess what he has already possessed for us. And number three, we need to see this, that you can let sin boss you around. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans six twelve, do not let sin reign. It doesn't have to. Now you can make a decision. You can live differently. Sin does not have to be your boss. But you can. You can let it boss you around. You can let sin boss you around. You see, sin's a bully. You know what a bully is? A bully is someone or something that takes responsibility and authority over something that's not its own. That's why in elementary school, a bully wants your lunch money. It's not his lunch money. It's your lunch money. But a bully wants it. Because he's taking responsibility and ownership over something that's not its own. I want you to know this about yourself. You are not sins any longer when you have given your life to Jesus. You are not. But sin, sin wants to bully you because it wants to take authority and responsibility over you still. It doesn't own you, but it wants to bully you around. So the question that we have to answer that we're going to have to struggle through is really this question. Who are we going to let lead our lives? Who are we going to trust to lead our lives? Who are we going to trust? It's a a question that you're going to have to answer once and for all, and then you're going to have to answer it every day. Some of us are going to have to answer it every hour. Some of us are going to have to answer it almost every minute. Who are we going to let lead our lives? Because I want you to understand today that there's going to be a wrestling and a struggle within you over who is going to lead you. I, th- I think I see that struggle to some degree echoed in, in the, the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.12 where he says, I do not mean to say that I have already achieved these things. And let's just stop there. This is the Apostle Paul who has written by volume over half the New Testament by, by, by context. He wrote a third. He influenced almost two-thirds of the New Testament. And he says, I haven't achieved these things. Let me just tell you something. If you're ever in conversation with somebody who claims that they have achieved these things, let's go ahead and compare them to the Apostle Paul. All right? And I'm just going to submit to you that none of us have achieved these things. I do not mean to say that I have achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. See, Jesus took hold of our freedom. And now we must press on if we're going to take hold of that freedom that he wants to give us. We must run the race. We must complete the struggle. We must fight. And the fight is often going to be over that question. Who are you going to trust to lead your life? You see, far too often, instead of choosing Jesus, we choose ourselves. 
far too often, instead of choosing Jesus, we choose ourselves. And I'm going to give you three ways today that we choose ourselves over Jesus. And I want you to see that all three of these are different definitions of pride. All three are different perspective, different ways that we can think about pride. Because pride is that open door in our lives where the enemy, are, the, the enemy has legal grounds to come against us, to wage war against us, to attack us. And what we do is when we embrace a prideful attitude, a prideful way of living, we actually open a door to let the enemy come against us. I'm going to show you three stories, give you three statements of how we often choose ourselves out of pride over God. The first one is that we trust in our own strength. We trust in our own strength. In Matthew 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And while he's teaching his disciples, he begins to kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit, okay? So he begins to say, it it is God's will that I go and that I be crucified, that I die for all of humanity. He begins to kind of let them see what's about to happen. And then watch what happens with Peter in Matthew 16, 22. Peter took him, took Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him. Let me just stop there, okay? If our stories when they're written about us, ever have to pause and say, you took Jesus aside and rebuked him. I want you to get this. It's not going to go real well after that. It's not, and it doesn't for Peter. Peter took him aside and said, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You see, Peter at this point is standing face to face between his own desires for Jesus and what Jesus wants to do. What Jesus says that this is what the Father has intended for me to do, and this is what Peter wants him to do. And he begins to say, no, Jesus, you can't be killed. This can't happen to you. And I want you to look at how Jesus responds to Peter in Matthew 16. He says, the scriptures recorded that Jesus turned and said to Peter, now get behind me, Satan. All right? This is a very interesting thing because when Jesus first meets Peter, his name is Simon. And not too long before this moment, Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. Peter is a Greek word, Petros. It means rock. We could actually call Peter Rocky. That's probably a better uh, translation for his name. He's saying, listen, you're going to be strong. You're going to be a bedrock. You're going to be a foundation, Peter. And then all of a sudden, he calls him Satan. I don't know about you, but if I were Peter, I'd be sitting there thinking, I think I like Peter better than Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Wow. He would go on to tell Peter, Peter, the devil has asked for you. He's asked to sift you just like wheat. And after you come back, after you return, I want you to do something for me. I want you to strengthen your brothers. And Peter would say, no, that's never going to happen. I'm never going to fall away. I'm not, I'm not the one that's going to run. I'm not the one that's going to fail. I'm not that. That's not me. But a few hours from that moment, a garrison of guards would show up to arrest Jesus while he was praying in the garden. 
We don't know how many there were because it's not recorded in Scripture, but we do know that the captain that sent him, sent the guards, was a centurion. That means that he was in charge of at least 100 soldiers. So there was probably not just two or three, but probably many. And we know that Peter did something that's really remarkable in that moment. He took out a sword and attacked. He cut one of the soldiers' ear off. You know why he cut his ear off? Because he was aiming for his head. With all those soldiers, Peter's attacking with a sword. You see, Peter was trying to do it in his own strength, and I want you to get this about your life. You may be strong, you may be talented, you may be capable. At some point, your strength is going to run out, and it ran out very quickly for Peter. Because in the next few hours, Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. His strength runs out, and he runs back to what he always knew. See, I don't, there's some of us that go, I could never do that. But how many times have you been in that position when your life's not going the way that you thought it should? Your plan's not following the path that you think it should, and you look at God and you go, no, God. Jesus, can you come over here? I need to rebuke you because you see the way my life's going right now? This is not the way I think it should go. I would like things to go this way. We're trying to do it in our own strength. See, we can trust in our own strength, our own capacity to get things done. But that's going to run out someday. We need to trust in Jesus. Number two, we trust in our own righteousness. We trust in our own righteousness. The Bible is filled with so many wonderful and different books. Uh, I, I don't know if you have thumbed through the Bible. There are some really awesome names for books in the Bible, like Nahum and, and uh, Obadiah, right? There's a book in there that we call Job sometimes, right? I have a friend who was a young Christian. He was reading through the Bible, and he said, you know, I was looking for a Bible, a Bible verse that would help me, and I, you know, I, I needed a job. And so I found this book in the middle of the Bible called Job, and I read it, and it didn't help me get a job. See, the book of Job is really the book of Job, and it's a story of one guy. It's one of the most tragic, difficult, um, glorious stories maybe in all the Bible. As the story begins and opens up, it starts with an odd conversation between God and the devil. Where the devil points out Job. Look at him. God says, yeah, there's nobody in all the land that is more righteous than Job. There's nobody that's more righteous. There's nobody that gets it right, cares about being right more than Job. And the devil says to God, well, you know why that is. It's because you've protected him. It's because you've kept him from harm. And so God says, if you think it's that way, well, how about this? I'll take the protection off. You go, you go find him. Go do whatever you think you can. And so the devil does for Chapter after chapter, Job loses his kids, loses his wealth, loses so much time and time and time and time again. And his friends show up just like we would, right? If you were going through a bad time, typically our friends show up and they start asking you, dude, what did you do wrong? What did you do? What did you do that opened the door for this kind of calamity to come into your life? And he begins to justify himself, to say, no, I, I haven't done anything. I'm, I am right. I, I mean, I am righteous. See, that word righteous 
means to be right. It's the quality or state of being right. When we talk about that book or that that word inside the context of Scripture, we're talking about someone who is in the right state, the person who is exactly who God intended them to be. That's what righteousness is. And at the end of the book of Job, around chapter 32, it's a young man who has been around, who's been listening to the conversation between Job and his friends. I just want to just pause and just say, if you're an older believer, you need to keep some young believers around you because they'll tell you the truth. Your friends will oftentimes try to appease you. But this guy, his name is Elihu. He stands up and says, I'm tired of all this. I'm tired of hearing you complain. I'm tired of hearing you say how right you are. I know you're old and I know I'm young and I know that I don't know as much as you do. But Job The problem here is that you think you're right. The problem is that you think you're perfect. And then he says this, quoting Job to himself in Job 33, verses 8 and 9. I've heard the very words, I am pure, I have done no wrong, I am clean and free from sin. Come from you, Job. I've heard you say that. Who would he have to be to be able to say that? Jesus. Jesus is the only one that could say that. And he says, listen, you you gain righteousness from what you do. And Elihu would later say, I ascribe righteousness to my maker. I'm not righteous because of what I've done. And I want you to get this today, that some of you, you look at that story and you go, that's not me. I don't think I'm perfect. I know I'm the one that's messed up, but let me just ask you this question. Have you ever been in tension with a friend? You ever been in a fight with your kids? You ever been that person that's struggling with money and in the back of your mind you say this, I don't understand why this is happening. I've done it right. I've done it all right. I can't understand why they're mad at me. I've done it right. I can't understand why this is happening because I've done this right. I want you to understand that when we get to that moment, we're trusting in our own righteousness. You see, it's okay to whine and complain about how righteous we are in the midst of our struggles until God shows up, and that's exactly what happens in Job. At the end of that book, God shows up. And his complaining, now he has to stand before Almighty God. And typically when God shows up in Scripture, he kind of has a, a very short speech planned out, right? He, it's like four or five verses. Job gets an earful from God for four chapters in the Bible. And I want you to see one of his opening statements that he makes. In Job 38, verse 4, he says, notice the sarcasm in this. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. He would go on to say, does lightning come to your throne room and ask for permission on where to strike? When the ground is thirsty, do the clouds ask you for permission to rain? Do you know where the treasury of snow is held? See, Job standing in front of his absolute impotence compared to God. 
faces his futility, right? And he realizes, I've been trying to do this in my own righteousness. Let me just tell you today, as good as you can be, you will never be good enough. As good as you can be, you will never be good enough. It is only by the righteousness that is given to us through God, through Jesus, the possession that he took possession of, that we now have this gift from him. It is only through the righteousness of Christ that we will ever be righteous. The Bible says that our righteousness, even in our best day, is a filthy rag laying before the throne of God. As right as you can be, as good as you can be, it will never be good enough. And number three, we trust in our own wisdom. We trust in our own wisdom. I'm going to take you to 1 Kings chapter 22 and tell you a story. It's about King Ahab. King Ahab married a lady named Jezebel. Now, if you just even know that name, you know that, that something happened at that moment that wasn't good, right? Because there's a connotation that comes with her name. But Jezebel, the, the kind of tension as she came about, Jezebel had prophets that basically she paid. It would like be if you had a pastoral staff that you paid, and they told you whatever you wanted to hear. Well, she had prophets and they kind of came into some conflict with a guy named Elijah and eventually they lost their heads literally all right and she married King Ahab and Ahab took on the same practices where he employed a group of prophets and he calls in King Jehoshaphat which is the, the other king of the other portion of Israel and he says let's attack the king of Syria now King Ahab is not a good king King Jehoshaphat is a good king And Jehoshaphat says, well, have you listened to the Lord? And Ahab says, well, let's call in my prophets. So he calls in his prophets that are on his payroll, and they come in, and they say, go for it. The enemy is yours. You're going to win. And Jehoshaphat goes, well, that was a great show. But do you have a prophet of the Lord? I don't want to hear your prophets. Do you have a prophet of the Lord? And he says, King Ahab says, I have one, but he's in prison. Because every time I ask him to prophesy, he says bad things about me. <laughs> he's predicted I'm going to die. It's not, he's not my favorite guy right now. And in, ha- in Ahab, we, we see this third thing. I don't know if I told you this earlier. That we trust in our own wisdom. That we trust in our own wisdom. You see, as he's going through this decision-making process, they recall the prophet of the Lord, get him out of prison, and ask him to come in. Jehoshaphat says, all right, you're the prophet of the Lord in the land. Would you please tell me, you've prayed about this. We're considering attacking, attacking Syria. Tell me what the Lord has told you. And he says, go for it. It's going to be awesome. You're going to win. And he says, no, uh-uh. you're lying. You're trying to tell me what I want to, tell me what you really know. And he says, in verse 17, the, then Micaiah, the prophet, that's his name, answered, I saw all of Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. What happens when the sheep are scattered without a shepherd? That's when the wolf attacks. He said, don't go into battle. Don't go into battle. You're going to get beat. You're going to get beat bad. As a matter of fact, if you go into battle, King Ahab, you're going to die. And Ahab says, no, there's no way that this is true. Did you not hear my prophets? 
Did you not hear? My prophet said, if we attack Syria, we will win. Jehoshaphat says, tell me, tell us about what's going on here. What, what have you seen in the Lord? And Micaiah describes this image, and it's an image from the throne room of God where he says that the host of heaven was standing before God. The host of heaven is actually a term used in Scripture to describe not just angels but demons as well. And I know some of you are going, what? Demons around God? Let me just clear that up real quick. All right, God is everywhere, right? He's everywhere. That means that if a demon is somewhere, he's there too, okay? There is no battle going on, all right? God has already won, all right? And so in this, there's this question, how are we going to make this happen? And it's recorded at the end of 1 Kings 22, what happens? A spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him, him being Ahab. By what means, the Lord asked. And the spirit said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit. I want you to understand today that sometimes you can be absolutely clear that you think something is true and you can be completely and totally deceived. The the scriptures say in Proverbs that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. It is absolutely right. When you lean on your own wisdom, you lean on your own truth, and you don't lean into what God is saying to you, there is a way that seems right, but the end of that way is death. And Ahab is going to find that out because when they go into battle against the king of Syria, Ahab literally dresses Jehoshaphat up like himself, sends him to the front of the lines and attacks Syria. The Syrian forces chase down Jehoshaphat, thinking that it's Ahab. When they realize that it's not him, they give up and attack the rest. And at the end of the battle, the scripture records at the end of 1 Kings 22, that a random archer from the very back of the line releases an arrow. And that arrow pierced King Ahab, who was in the very back of the other line, between the seams and his armor. I want you to understand, when God says it, it's true. When God says it, it's true. And in all of those cases, we look and see where there was something, there was an open door of sin, and the enemy came against. I want you to get this today about the, the enemy and the way that the enemy comes. God will use the enemy to accomplish his purposes. There is no great war going on. We're not trying to defeat the devil. The devil is already defeated. I don't know if you get that, but God will use the enemy to accomplish his purpose in your life. That's why Jesus would say to to Peter, hey, listen, Satan asked for permission. Say to Job, listen, Satan asked for permission. The devil doesn't do anything without God's permission. He's a created being, and God will use him to accomplish his own purposes. You see, sin, sin is something that God has opened the door for us to be liberated from. And so what I want to do is go back to Romans 6 and help you see out of three simple verses a path to freedom that God has laid out for us. Let's look there. Romans 6, 11, 12, and 13. We're going to take one step out of each of those verses. Beginning in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let any 
other part of yourself. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. There are three things I want you to see out of that simple passage right there. Number one is that we need to declare that sin is not our boss. In verse 11, the, those scriptures say, count yourselves dead to sin. The word that's used for count, there's actually a counting term. Now, many of you have been to an accountant recently to do your taxes. And when you go to do your taxes, you have to declare your income, right? The Bible is saying that when we wage out what our lives look like, we need to put on the column that says what we declare about who we are, that sin is no longer your boss. And I told you last week that when you start to feel temptation come against you, you need to be the person that says in your heart, in your mind, and even sometimes through your voice, sin, you are no longer my boss. Sin, you're not my boss. Let's say that together. Sin, you're not my boss. Let's say it again. Sin, you're not my boss. Now, let's say it like you mean it this time. Sin, you're not my boss. Now, just whisper it. Sin, you're not my boss. And when we're facing temptation, we need to declare that sin, you are no longer my boss. Number two, we need to decide which side of the battle we're going to fight for. We need to decide which side of the battle we're going to fight for. See, there is a struggle that is going on within you. That's what the Apostle Paul alludes to in Romans 7. Listen, the things I want to do, I'm not doing. The things I I find myself doing, I don't want to do those. You have a battle, a, a struggle that is waging on the inside of you as to what you're going to do. And you have to decide which side are you on. See, far too many of us are fighting on the wrong side. We hear that voice that says, take one more look. And we're like, I want to look. They click on that thing again. I want to click. Take one more bite of that cheesecake. I want cheesecake. Right? We're fighting on that side instead of take one more look. No, sin, you are not my boss. We'll take another look anyway. Nope, sin. Nope. Sin. Click on that. Nope. Sorry. Sin, you are not my boss. Take another bite of cheesecake. Okay. No, I'm sorry. Right? Right, no. Right, we have to decide internally which side are we going to fight on. And far too many of us have been fighting on the wrong side. And lastly, we must dedicate ourselves to Jesus. Verse 13 says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin. Can I help you understand something today? When we struggle with something, it is often because we have offered ourselves to sin. And in a practical way, we have to learn to offer ourselves to God. Some of you are in here today and you struggle with worry and anxiety and fear. I want to help you for a moment. Where is the battle and the struggle happening for you? It's in your mind. So you have to make a decision to give your mind to God. How do you do that? You spend time in God's Word. You memorize Scripture. You let your mind become captivated with the things of God. Dedicate your mind to God. Some of you struggle with things that you look at. Dedicate your eyes to God. 
Dedicate your eyes to God. Make sure that what you are looking at is never laying a platform for you to look at something that you don't need to. Dedicate your eyes to God. Some of you struggle emotionally. You struggle with the, the kind of inclination of your heart. Dedicate your heart to God. Some of you struggle with decisions that you make in life. Dedicate your hands and your feet to God. Dedicate yourself to God. Because that's where the struggle is one. Next week, we're going to talk about what it takes to stay free. But today, I want to remind you of a truth, that the only way to really experience freedom is by giving our lives completely and wholly to Jesus. That's the only way. And some of us are here today, and we've struggled. We've struggled. And the reason is, is that some of us have thought, you know what? I can do this if I try harder. If I try harder, I can get it right. Some of us have thought, you know what, I can get this right. I I can. I know that I haven't got it right yet. I know that I don't know anybody who's got it right. But if I try hard enough, I think I can get it right. And some of us think, you know what, I know God says that he wants me to do this. But you know what, I don't think that's the right way to go. I want you to realize today that the only way that you can experience freedom is by totally relinquishing your life and giving it to him, stepping out of Adam and into Christ and experiencing the new life that is connected to that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much today for the freedom that comes from your word. Thank you for reminding us today, reminding us that there is freedom to be had that we might have to fight for it, we might have to struggle. Some of us have big struggles ahead of us, but God, we want to engage in the battle to experience freedom that only can be found in you. God, we're tired of living in the empty promises that we can be strong enough, we can be good enough, we can be smart enough. God, we're not. Only you are. And so today, God, we just bow our heads and our hearts before you, and we ask you to speak to us challenge us today, God. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me just ask you a question right now. Are you the person in here today that knows that you have not fully given your life to Jesus? You've been trying. I'm not saying you haven't been trying. You've been trying to be good enough. You've been trying to be smart enough. You've been trying to be strong enough, but it just hasn't worked out because you have never really rested in the sufficiency of Jesus for you. Maybe that's you today, and you realize that I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of this broken way of living. I need to embrace the fullness of Christ. I want to live in freedom. I'm tired of the fear. I'm tired of the stress. I'm tired of the anxiety. I want this life that God wants for me. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Who else? Who else today wants to make that decision to fully give their lives to Jesus? Who else? Now, I have another question for you. Who's here today and you say, you know what? I struggle with that. I struggle with thinking I can be strong enough, that I can be smart enough, that I can be good enough. And I don't want to be that. I want to rest in who Christ is for me. I'm tired of being that. I've opened doors for the enemy to attack me. I want to close them. I want to repent. 
Just like Job at the very end of that book, turned his life to Jesus, said, I failed you. God took him, blessed him, turned his life around. If you're here and you're that person, raise your hand. I'm tired of doing this. Awesome. So God, take those that are here, that raise their hand. We just ask you to come and use them for your glory, God. Cradle their lives in your hands. Lead them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.